Hello, everybody. This is Betty Markham with Let's Talk. You know, everyone has a story. And by sharing ours together, hopefully we can help each other. Let's begin. Good morning. Welcome to Let's Talk. I'm your host, Betty Markham, and I'm excited today to talk to Amy Rice Gables. Her story is absolutely inspirational and amazing. Let's dial in now and connect to Amy. Well, hello, Amy. How are you? Good. How are you? I'm great. I'm so excited that you're going to share your story with us today. Let's start with the very moment that you found out your life changed forever. Well, <sighs> two years ago, this May will be three years, um, I went in, well, it was in April, actually, and I went in for my yearly visit like I had every year. COVID was just getting over with, and I went in just to have my my checkup and my mammogram and they called me back after my mammogram and he wanted me to go do another mammogram <clears throat> after that they wanted me to do a ultrasound after that they wanted me to do a biopsy and I just had it in my gut my friends were like Amy that happens all the time it happens all the time you're gonna be fine you're gonna be fine and I was like y'all I got this bad feeling I don't know why I just have a bad feeling <clears throat> so um I think I had the bopsy on Monday and on that Friday afternoon after school I was on the way home and I kept Mark kept saying have you heard from him have you heard from him I was like no and so I was like well I guess I won't hear from him till Monday and at 3 30 3 45 that phone rang and it was the doctor <clears throat> and I was like oh my gosh and they told me that I had triple negative breast cancer. Oh, my gosh. And I said, okay, I just have one question. Is it curable? And they said, yes. I said, well, then I'm good. So I get home. You know, I'm talking to the doctor the whole time. And, and then I, I call my other doctor and tell him. And... um. He, he talks to me. I said, am I going to lose my hair? And he goes, Amy, yes. And I was like, oh, my gosh. Uh, what am I going to do if I lose my hair? But if this is curable, then I got this. It's going to be a piece of cake. I got it. I looked at Mark. Mark goes, we can do this. I said, we can do this. And I said, we're not crying. We're not doing any of that. I said, when we tell the girls. We're just going to tell them we got this handled and nobody's crying. We're not crying. So we did not cry. And I said, because you know what? It could always be worse. And that's been our saying through, through my cancer journey. It could always be, if you're not dead, it could always be worse. And so from that day on, you know, I, I go and, and to my, get an oncologist, Dr. Tammy Young in Jackson, Mississippi. She is the best around. And we go to her and we get our plan. We've got a plan. And um, I had to have a port placed in my chest for, for chemo. I was going to do, I did six months of chemo. The first four were adriamycin, which is they call the red devil. 
That's a wife. Is the red devil the one that is the worst that makes you sick? Oh, yes. So I had to do four of those every two weeks. I did one every two weeks for four weeks. I mean, for four times. That's what took my hair. And um, it, it just didn't make you feel real good. The luckily, I I did that in the summer. I started like in June, and um, so I wasn't having to go to work, which made it so much better because I could rest on the days I needed to rest. I tolerated, I tolerated chemo pretty well. Um, there would be some days I would just lay in my bed and just not feel good. But you have to take your nausea medicine. I mean, the medicine is key, you know. Um. What kind of medicine do they give you for that? Uh, not um, Zofran, Phenagrin, Compazine. Compazine is the strongest. I would probably take that when I felt my worst. I usually could get by with Zofran or something. You know, Phenagrin just knocks you out. So I try not to, not to take that unless I was just wanting to sleep. But I would just try to sleep through it. You know, if I didn't feel good, I would just get in the bed and sleep through it. Um, so I don't. Those four treatments were done, you know, and then you would, when you would go through that, your white blood count would, would drop and you had to be real careful about germs and all that kind of business. Um, so you're, you're a little isolated on, you know, you just got to be real careful when you go out and things, when your white, when your white counts so low. Um, so once I finished up those four um, treatments. Then I would start on um, another one that was Taxol, and what was there was another. It was two mixed together, and I had to do twelve of those. I did those once a week for twelve weeks. Well, was it because your cancer was real aggressive? Yes, that- yes. Triple negative is the most aggressive. The most aggressive of the breast cancers. And they wanted me to do my chemo first and then surgery after. So I did my 12, which that chemo was not near as bad. And I went to work every day. Every day I went to work. Every day when school started, I went to work. The day I I would do chemo on Thursday. So I'd go to work that morning and then I'd go. um, I had the last block off, so I would leave go get my chemo and I'd be back at work on Friday morning. I went to work. Work kept me going. Those kids that I taught were a blessing. They were my biggest cheerleaders. They cheered me on through it. We counted down every single week of my chemo. Uh, that's a blessing. Oh my gosh. The kids just kept me, kept my mind off of things. They loved my little bald head. They would sit there and rub my little head. They loved it. They loved it. They brought me crown. They brought me a crown because I was Queen Gables. They br- brought me a crown to wear on my bald head. Um, they would do special things. I mean, just that school was a blessing to me, and it kept me That's going. One of the questions I was going to ask you, and you've already answered it. What was your biggest supporters? And the community loved you so oh, much. Oh my gosh! First, my family. I mean, I just my husband <laughs> number one was just phenomenal. He went to every chemo with me and um, 
would sit there while I slept during my chemo because you know they give you the pre-drugs before your chemo which is one is Benadryl in that IV and I mean you're out like a light he didn't care he'd sit there through it with me I mean bless his heart he was just great my girls were really really strong um through my breast cancer you know like I told them we're not crying we're not crying in this your mama's got this because it could always be worse the doctor says it's curable, and I'm fixing to kick its tail. So, but my school, oh my gosh, just the love and support that I felt from them and my community. Yes, you're right. I mean, all over. I just had no idea how much love a person could get, and I just have been blessed with that. Blessed. So I finished up that chemo, the 12 of them. I finished up um, the week before Thanksgiving. And to celebrate, um, we went on a little beach trip. You know, that's my happy place. And oh, yeah. me and Mark and Lee and Linnell, my best friend Missy from Texas, um, and Allison, we went to the beach and we celebrated. And had the best little trip. And one morning they did a little special thing and gave me some gifts. And um, it was just very special. We cried. We laughed. We did all the things. Went to dinner. Went to the floor. You know, we just <laughs> had a good time. We had a good time. And I knew that after Christmas I was going to be having surgery. I, I, I elected to have a double mastectomy. Um, they told me I could have had a lumpectomy just on the one breast, but I said, oh no, just cut those suckers off. They've already tried to kill me once. We're going to get them gone. I don't care. Mm -mm. Just get them, get them gone. <laughs> I want them gone. I think so. Yes. I mean, I, I, there was no need to keep them at this point. So I, I had a double mastectomy and, um, it wasn't terrible. The wor I think the worst part is like the drains that they give you. Um, yes, I've had reconstruction also. And um, and what they did is when they did the mastectomy, my plastic surgeon was, was in there. And he went ahead and put those, they're called expanders in there. Yeah. Which they go in and they fill with saline a little at a time every week to kind of stretch that back out. Um, for a cavity that you can put some implants in there. Um, that process wasn't bad. I mean, that just to me was not, I don't know. It just wasn't bad. Um, I think I missed three, three weeks with the, that's the only time I missed work three weeks for the, for the double mastectomy. And my doctor was like three weeks. And I said, yeah, I'm going back to work. <laughs> I mean, man, you're incredible. I'm going back to work. And he goes, I don't suggest, I said, well, if you've learned anything about me is that when I say I'm going back to work, I'm going back to work. But, um, the reconstruction went fine. And I mean, the, the surgery went fine. That was in January. And then I had my final to get my implants in that May. And, um, they just go, that's an easy, easy deal. They go in and they just put the implants in and 
you're a little sore because you know your chest was basically <laughs> sunk in. I mean, there's nothing. It's just flat. You know, so it was um, it was a process for sure. And, you know, and I thought that May that everything was done. Everything was over. Everything was going to be good. I was fixing to go back to my life. My hair was growing back. Getting back and finished the school year. Anna Rice had graduated from Ole Miss. And then Abby was graduating from high school. So we had two graduations in May, plus my reconstruction surgery. And then June the 1st, I was taking Abby to Mexico for her senior trip. Yeah. So we go on to Mexico, and I'm just dragging the whole time. I mean dragging. I don't know. I was just tired. My, I have neuropathy in my feet from, um, from chemo. So that's a little tricky still have it um so walking a lot is is hurts a bit but I don't know I just did not feel great that whole trip like I just was tired and were you scared something was I mean like the cancer had come back or something at that point I was not I just thought I was I just thought my body was tired from doing all the chemo from doing all all of the start, just all of it. From working the whole time, I thought I was just worn out, you know. So when we get home, we had fun in Mexico, did all the things, get home from Mexico, and the next day I had an appointment because I, at this point, they had put me on an immune therapy drug called Keytruda. They do it for all breast cancer patients. So once I finished that chemo, I started on Keytruda, and I would do Keytruda, for a year it's just to just to make sure nothing's coming back so i was going that next day we got back from mexico to for my checkup and to do keytruda and i went back and had my blood done and a few minutes later the nurse goes calls me and she goes what is going on and she circled this number on um my blood work and it was my white blood count and it was like 1.3 which does that make it slow? That oh, bad. Like I shouldn't have been out of the country <laughs> on an airplane without a mask. Like no oh, immune system, oh. no immune system. And I told her, I said, I just got from Mexico yesterday. She goes, what? She goes, Amy. Oh my gosh. So then she goes, I don't know why your blood work. So then we started thinking, well, maybe I picked something up in Mexico. Maybe I picked up a little something. So they said for a week, for a, a week, they about two weeks, they tried to get my white count up. And they were giving me B12 shots, but it it was not working. Um, it was not working. It just, if anything, it was going down. And after about two and a half weeks, my doctor said, Amy, I want you to have a bone marrow biopsy. And I looked at her and I said, for what? You think I have cancer again? And she was like, I didn't say that, Amy, but we got to figure out why your white count is so low. Oh, is that your lowest point in the whole journey? Mm, no, I wasn't. I still thought I still was believing in my mind that I picked up something in in Mexico. 
So when I got, when I went in for that bone marrow biopsy, and if you know anything about those, they are not pleasant. In fact, it they're awful. Um, but I had that done, and they said it'll be about a week or so for your results are back. About three days later, Dr. Young's calling my personal phone. Oh, no. I knew. Right then, I didn't even want to answer uh, I did not even want to answer it. Because I'd been looking on the internet and putting in, like, low blood count, yada, yada. And one, one big side effect uh, or symptom of leukemia is night sweats. Not like your normal hot flash night sweat, but I'm talking drenched. And that was happening. Like I would wake up and my whole head would be wet. Like I would have to change pajamas. I'd have to change the sheets. Like I was, and I see the first chemo put me in menopause. So I was, I was thinking to myself, right, I'm just night sweating from menopause. But this was excessive. And when the doctor goes, have you been having night sweats? And I was like, well, I always do. But then I thought, but it, they ha it has been worse. And when I typed that in to the little Google, it said leukemia. And I was like, oh, my gosh. So when Dr. Young called me that day, that was, that was probably one of my lowest points when I had to go in and tell Mark to get on the phone call with me. Oh my and God. Listen. And um, oh. the diagnosis is AML leukemia. Um, and he asked one question Is this curable? And she said, It can be. And he goes, Okay, we got this. We're going to do the damn thing again. So well, I don't know how y'all got that kind of strength. I really don't. Well, now. I didn't tell everybody they couldn't cry this time. We all cried this time. <laughs> I gave myself 24 hours to cry. Did the chemo cause this? Oh, yes. So further biopsy a few days later confirmed that the adriamycin, a.k.a. the red devil, is what caused my leukemia. And that is a side effect of it. I didn't know that could happen. I'm sure they gave me something or in a pamphlet. I didn't read any of that junk. I didn't read. I never really researched the cancer and all that because I just thought it made it worse. I said, I'm just going to go in and do what the doctors tell me to do. I'm not going to read anything online. I'm just going to trust my doctor to tell me what to do. And that is exactly what I'm going to do. Um, the leukemia, I did research a little, but it was just too scary to read it all. Um, I did know, so the day she calls and tells me we have leukemia, she goes, okay, I'm getting you in with my my good friend, Vincent Heron. He's a leukemia doctor at UMMC. And within two hours, I was checked into the hospital where I would stay for a week. Um, she was very upset and just sorry. And it was it was sad. It was sad for all of us. I just couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe that I, w I had finished the breast cancer and beaten it. And now here we go again, just a few months later, just a few months later. And here we go again with another one. That's 
way bigger than the first one. Lord have mercy. It, I, I, I just felt, mm, I don't know, it, it was it was hard. I had time to think because I had to pack and get to the hospital. So it was like, I got to go. Well, did the community rally then in the school? What they did? Once everybody knew and once I started with that initial treatment, because um, I had to start getting platelets and blood Oh my gosh, so many people did blood drives for me. Um, the school had one at school. My plastic surgeon's office had one at their office. And, um, you know, people bringing food to the house. And just, it was unbelievable. The th my, my students were writing me little letters. And, I, I mean, it just was everything. But I knew that this beast was bigger than me so I was fixing to have to really put my big girl panties on and get ready to fight because this one I hardly I barely remember the breast cancer because of the leukemia jeez goodness it was it was nuts so once I got to the hospital I stayed there for about a week while they were waiting to see was it caused by the chemo or was the leukemia separate so once they figured that out, I was in there a week and no, they, they kept saying they were going to start chemo, start chemo. And they would walk in and I would go, why are y'all not starting chemo? I guess I'm just going to sit here and die. I was angry. I did go through an anger mode with this and I was angry. And I said, what are you doing? Why am I just sitting here? Why are we not starting the chemo? Well, then they explained, we got to make sure that it's from the chemo. So we will know which treatment to give you. Because it's a little different if the leukemia comes from another chemo. So they let me out after a week. And I was going to do my, they call it the induction chemo. and But I was not going to have to do it in the hospital. I did it on a Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. And I seemed to tolerate it just fine. To me, nothing was worse than that red devil nothing was worse than that so this was not even really anything and so i finished i did monday wednesday friday and then just rested that weekend and on sunday i didn't feel real good and they always tell you if you spike a fever 100.4 100.4 or over you gotta call you gotta come in and that sunday evening my fever went up over 100.4 and we had to go to the emergency room. And that started a 30-day stay in the hospital. When I got there, you know, your levels just bottom out. So, like, my my white count was at zero. And leukemia is very isolating because you truly have no immune. You truly cannot go or do anything you cannot be around large crowds of people which is so hard so when i got there they just started me on antibiotics steroids um all the things trying to get my fever down and then somehow i had mouth sores real bad and somehow something got infected in my tooth so my mouth swole up like i look like a freaking chipmunk and they were saying that 
the tooth needed to be pulled. Well, UMC sent me to their dental place and wanted to pull. I said, you're not pulling my damn tooth. Mm -mm. Uh, nobody, no practice doctor is working on me. No, <laughs> nobody is pulling this damn tooth in here. When I get out of here, I will go to my dentist at home. And if he thinks that it needs to be pulled, then we'll pull it. But no, we're not doing that. So the tooth really actually kept me in there longer because it was just swollen and infected because of the just the mouth sores and things from the chemo. All the while, while I was in the hospital for that month, my baby, my baby girl moved to Ole Miss, moved in the dorm without her mama, and went through Rush without her mama. And I'm in the hospital helpless and can't get to my girl. It was horrible. That was awful. But I did tell my doctor this. I said, I I don't care what happens, but bid day is on such and such date. And I'm and I'm going to Oxford that day. I'm going. So I need out of the hospital the day before. And he would look at me and laugh. And I said, no, 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 no. You don't know me well. Like, I'll check myself out. I'm going to Oxford on bid day. So on Friday, he comes in and he says, okay, I'm going to let you leave. He said, but Amy, you better wear a mask. You have zero immune system. I said, I will do whatever. I'll wear whatever you need me to wear. But I am, I was hell bent. I'm going to bid day. So we had a friend up the street that has a place right off campus and they have a golf cart and he let us use that. We got in the golf cart, rode up in front of the sorority house. I wore a mask. Mark kind of kept everybody away from me. But to see my baby girl run to me that day, our whole family just hugged and cried. I mean, it was so emotional. But for me to be there for her, you know, I'd miss move into the dorm. And Mark, by the way, did a beautiful job getting that dorm room together. <laughs> he did great. And Mama's vision came together. He brought it together. So and I saw pictures of her room. <laughs> yes, he did so good. He did took my vision and I had strict instructions and phone calls that day. And, you know, and I'm in the hospital just, oh, so sad that I was not there, you know. Bless your heart. But, you know. It could always be worse. That's what we always say, Betty. It can always be worse. So after I have that um, induction um, chemo and I'm in the hospital for 30 days, I, I had to do a bone marrow biopsy while I was in there. And I didn't know they came to your room and you lay in your hospital bed and they do that bone marrow biopsy thing. So I didn't realize I could request like a real doctor to do it. So the resident was coming in to do it and I didn't know any better. And she was just, a, you know, a girl that's pregnant, that's about to be done, you know, with, with medical school. And she said, Oh, I do these all the time. Well, they usually give you morphine, Ativan and maybe Benadryl, but they, there was a shortage of Ativan. So all I got was Benadryl and some morphine. And let me tell you something. That was the worst. That was the worst pain I'd ever had from one of those things. I was not under enough. I was not loopy enough for, for that. And they, they, they basically, you know, they go in with the needle and deaden you all the way through your back to, into your, 
hip bone and um good grief but then they have to take a sample of the bone so they insert a drill it sounded like to me huh. it sounded like a drill from uh mark's uh storage room outside is what it sounded like to me but <sighs> he slipped off that bone and hit a nerve a donkey kicked out the back like you better get off me i oh my gosh i was so angry and she was like, oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And I was like, girl, oh, my gosh, you better step back. Uh, Mark had gone home to do something, and I was by myself, and I thought I could handle all of that. And when she left out of that room, oh, my gosh, my daddy had just happened to call, and I did not want him to hear me cry or do anything because he worried so much, and I couldn't help but cry to him. I cried to him and told him that woman was never touching me again. <laughs> that I don't know how you didn't cry and knock her out. Oh, I wanted to, but I couldn't do that. <laughs> oh my gosh. You're so once so once I had that uh, bone marrow biopsy, it had all my levels were going down like it the that chemo had worked. And um so it was not for a few weeks later that I found out that I was in remission. I was in remission, but for the leukemia not to come back, I had to have a transplant. I had to have a bone marrow transplant. That was my only hope of it not coming back. Forever. Forever. I mean, I guess it still could come back. Um, I asked that question Monday when I was in New Orleans. And they said, once you hit the one, two-year mark, this, the chances are very slim. Usually, if it comes back, it comes back within the first year or two. So, well, stay in remission until the bone marrow transplant. So, to stay in remission until my bone marrow transplant, I would go in every five weeks and do chemo. And I would do six chemos in three days. I'd do one morning, night, morning, night, morning, night. And I'd be in the hospital from Monday to Thursday. And it was fast and furious chemo, but that's just what had to happen. And I would do that about every five weeks. And I had to do that until we could get the transplant. And I'm adopted, so I don't have any siblings that I know of that could be a donor. They don't want to use your kids. They would, they, they would much rather use a sibling that has the same mother and father. So we went the donor bank route. Well, one big hit we had was that my insurance paid for everything at UMMC except for the transplant. And we were like, what do you mean? My insurance was not going to cover my transplant in Jackson. That was a big punch in the gut. Because that meant I was going to have to go out of state to have my transplant. Now, why did your insurance not pay in Mississippi? Because something about um, the hospital had to be a life source hospital. I think that's what it was called. And UMBMC is just not, doesn't have that label. But there are some around, like Memphis had a life source hospital. Nashville had a life source hospital. New Orleans had a life. MD Anderson, I could have gone there. But we chose to go to Memphis. 
in the beginning because Memphis was only an hour away from the girls because they're both in Oxford. So we're like, this is a no brainer. We're going to go to Memphis. So we set up an appointment with this doctor in Memphis and we go there and I have all the initial tests run and they found me a donor quick. They said I had like 20, 20 something thousand hits of initial DNA match. Um, that's crazy. It was a lot. Um, yes. So they finally narrowed it down, had my donor ready, and um, I was supposed to go on November the 28th last year. And um, the doctor, they only had one bone marrow doctor there, and she decided she was leaving. Um, so that was a big mess and I was going to have to wait until the spring to have my late spring to have my, um, transplant until a new doctor started. And I was like, uh, uh, I cannot wait. Mm -mm. We can, we're not waiting. I, I, I cannot just sit around here and keep doing all this chemo every five weeks and waiting on a transplant. So in the middle, that's a, that's a whole long story, but in the middle of that, so we decided not to go with Memphis and we started over in New Orleans at Tulane hospital. What do you mean? Started over basically started over. They wanted to find their own donor. They didn't want to use the donor for Memphis. Oh no. They found but like she said, she called me, the, the transplant coordinator, and said, I've never seen somebody with so many matches. It, I really have not. And um, they found a donor very quickly and got the ball rolling. And um, was it a 100% match? It was a 10 out of 10 match. Um a lot of it has to do with DNA. It's it, it was it. I don't understand it all. Um, like I said, I, I tried not to read things, but it was a ten out of ten match. And the funny thing is, is the first donor was an eighteen-year-old female. That was the one they were going to use in Memphis. But the one in New Orleans was a male, and I asked them why they went why they didn't use it they said they don't like to use females for donors with females and i thought to myself well why in the hell was memphis going to use a female for me if, if using a male is better I, I i it's it's a god thing i think god did that on purpose and sent me to the right place absolutely well did you ever think since you were adopted that there were some donors out there that were can to you didn't yeah. know about I, I wonder that all the time i wonder that all the time you can't find out anything about the donor i think until the two-year mark and that's only if they want to be known you know so yeah i wonder that a lot who knows we got a movie here if that happens uh for sure yes <laughs> yes yes oh my gosh you're <laughs> walking just now i mean it's just was crazy so finally have a date march the 6th and i was so thankful to be able to spend christmas at home with my kids 
and um so we leave to go to to new orleans on on march the 6th and that was probably the scariest day of my life hugging my family and my friends and my kids and driving out of my driveway because i didn't know if i'd ever see them again they didn't know if they'd ever see me again did you have a piece though that it was like you can see a mirror and you're seeing the background behind you. Did you think you were driving to a new future, that this was the beginning of the best? Betty, I'm going to be honest. I, I didn't know what I was driving into because I'd already known, I already had a friend, an educator friend that had leukemia a few years back and she died after her transplant. I was scared. I really was scared. I was, I was really scared and I cried about halfway to New Orleans and, um, I worried so about my kids because I knew that I would be gone for so long, you know, until at least June, I was going to be in New Orleans and, um, it just, was scary. I knew Abby was struggling big time. Um, we let Anna Rice stay in Oxford last year after she graduated to be there for Abby because of what I was going through. And thank goodness, because at least she had big sister and big sister's friends there to really rally when <laughs> she needed them, you know. Oh, that was good. Yes. Sorry. So we get to New Orleans and we had gotten um, an Airbnb for Mark and that I would go back to whenever I got out of the hospital. So we, we go to the Airbnb and get all settled in and we went out and had something good to eat because I knew after that I didn't know what I was going to be able to eat. Oh my goodness. So I was like, I want something good for dinner. I can't. I'm trying to, I think we had Chinese that night and it was so good and so delicious and, um, went to bed and the next morning we wake up and we, we go to the cancer center and we're supposed to check into the hospital. And when we get there, we do some initial blood work and all that kind of good stuff. And the transplant coordinator comes in and she's like, okay, we don't, we don't have a bed open. We had a crazy weekend and there's no bed in the bone marrow unit and I was like wait a minute am I not going in today you know when I when I got there I was like let's go let's do it let's get it done I'm, I'm ready and then to say there was no bed and I was like oh my gosh so Mark and I go back to the Airbnb she goes if somebody checks out I'll be calling you later on you know to check in so about 5.30 or 6 that evening, I was already in my pajamas, laying in the bed, resting. She says, all right, we got a room. Come on. And I go in there. I tell Mark. I was like, all right, we got to go. <laughs> they have a room. So Thank God. Get my stuff together. We get there. And we get up to the bone marrow unit. And, and we get in the first room. And it is this little room. And, and I know that I'm going to be there for 30 or more days. We get in this first little room and they're like, we really don't like to keep our transplant patients in these rooms because it's only that one little window. We like to put you on the other side. So it, 
we only stayed in that room about 30 minutes. And then the, another room came open. So they moved me to the other side. So we go into the next room on the other side. And there's a big, huge window where you can see the city and all. Um, which I can see why now hindsight's 2020. I can see why they put you over there. Oh my gosh, you better be able to look out somewhere being in the hospital that long. So we get into this room and Mark goes and opens the little closet to put my stuff in there. And there's dirty linens in the freaking closet. And I was like, so then they had to move us to another room. So then they moved us to another room because obviously there was dirty sheets in a bone marrow unit where there's not supposed to be any germs um, to the next room. So finally we get settled in our room and um, they have something crazy there. Like they, they have their own like air system to where you don't breathe the outside air and it comes through this grate above the bed. And you know what white noise is. If you have a noise machine like white noise, that's what yeah. it sounds like. But it's like that 24-7. It never cuts off. Ever cuts off. Like, it was driving me crazy. Crazy. Being in that room and having that noise, was gonna, it about sent me over the edge after a while. But anyway, so I knew that the next day I was going to start. So I had to do chemo for five days before I did it for five days. I rested a day and then I got the transplant. Now that chemo that they give you is the most wicked chemo probably ever made. It's worse than the red devil. Worse. This stuff is not this stuff. Basically, somebody said it perfect. They basically kill you and bring you back to life. That's basically what what happens. I mean, now that I look back on it, that's exactly what happens. I mean, they damn near kill you and bring you back to life. Over the five days of the chemo, though, I was pretty good. I just took nausea meds, and, and I was still okay. And then I rested, and then that day I had my transplant. It was like, (laughs) it was so surreal like it's getting time and and um they're getting me prepped and uh yeah and all that good i had to get a pick line Uh, you know i already have a port on my left side i've got a pick line in my right arm and then i've got this other kind of port on my other side of the chest so i've got things all over me for them to plug stuff in and everything was plugged in 24 7 i mean i had so many things happening you know but the this little asian guy wheels in with this cryo barrel like and he opens it and all that liquid smoke or whatever what's it called dry ice comes out and in there are the cells that are about to go in my body and save my life it was crazy oh my gosh it was it was like and the nurse walks in she goes Okay, Miss Gables, happy birthday. Today's your new birthday. And she's right. I was being born again that day. It was it was just crazy. And um I said now she goes, now this isn't gonna hurt. It's just gonna feel like you're getting a um you're not gonna feel anything. It's just gonna go through the little pick line. 
and um so we put it up and said it'd take about an hour to run and that'd take my temperature 15 minutes make sure i wasn't having a reaction but she goes do you want to see your cells so she got a flashlight and showed mark and i in the tubing you know going down coming in the cells floating in there we could see them i was like this is going in my body this is gonna save my life it was crazy so about an hour hour 15 minutes later it's all done i've had my transplant um still felt good like i felt fine i felt good um the sickness came (laughs) about a week later or maybe five days later lord betty i've never been so sick in my life that chemo kicked in and i'm telling you what little hair was left on my head was gone again and you can never know the sickness that i felt i understand why they have to run all these tests on you before you have it because if you're not strong enough you'll die from it i i'm i I get it now. I totally understand. Um, that chemo. Ooh. I mean, you so had the, doing chemo after you've had the transplant. I did it five days before the transplant. Okay. It, it bring, you know, it, it wipes your entire immune system out. So I had a brand new immune system. Um, that chemo killed it. And of course, my white counts back to zero. Um, there are lots of foods I couldn't eat. Um, like I couldn't have lettuce. I couldn't have vegetables like strawberries. I couldn't have broccoli, cauliflower, anything with a peel, like a peach, anything like anything I could peel and eat the inside of, I could have. Otherwise, no, could not have it. No fast food. No fountain drinks. No, um, I mean, it was just very, your diet is very strict after this because you could catch anything. I mean, anything, and it could be deadly. If you got an infection, it could kill you. So the thing is, is the chemo gave me something called mucosis, which is the, um, sloughing off of the lining of your digestive tract and it goes from your throat to your stomach so the lining from your throat to your stomach just sloughs off and it ends up in your tummy is what it does and it makes you (laughs) extremely sick i'm talking about from the back end from throwing up to the back end it it's bad um it's humiliating that you how long that last do I? How long did it last? Oh my gosh! Well after, well after I got out of the hospital. Oh, it lasted a couple months. It was bad. I couldn't eat or drink anything. I could barely drink water. I um, the only thing I could get things down with was um, body armor, strawberry and banana. The water was awful you know the chemo just changes your taste buds too 
and I really couldn't eat. I didn't eat for about 30 days and they would come in and I knew because I'd been told if you don't eat, they will give you a feeding tube. So they would come in and they go, what did you eat today? And I'd say something and Mark would look at me like he was about to say something. And I'd look at him like, you better shut up. <laughs> you better not say a word. Yeah. I had a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. Yep. That's what I had today. I mean, I would make, because if they given me a feed tube, I, that would have done me in. It would have done me in. It just would have done me in. Um, so I did, I just couldn't eat. And, and and just so sick to the point where I would just lay there in the bed, never cut a TV on. I didn't answer my phone. I, only people I answered the phone for was my dad because he would keep calling if I didn't. My dad and, or my kids. Other, otherwise, I, I just I couldn't communicate with anybody. I was that sick. And um, then that noise from that air vent was chipping away at me. I'm telling you, it never cut off. They were giving me Ativan or Xanax three times a day just to calm my anxiety. I would cry to Mark. The doctors would walk in the morning and I'd just say, please don't let me die. Just do not let me die. And it was so scary. I was so sick. Two months? Oh, I was sick. Yeah. I was in the hospital 36 days. But when I got out of the hospital, I was still having diarrhea and throwing up. Still couldn't eat a lot. Um, it took a while for me to be able to eat. Probably about two or three weeks after getting in the hospital, after getting out, to be able like, to eat some soup or um Something like that. That was about all I had was soup. Double noodle soup. That's what I would eat. Every meal. Mark would go to the Rouse's around the corner and stock up on double noodle soup. That was about all I could that was about all I could get down. Um now while this was happening, you were in New Orleans still? I was yes, still in New Orleans. We were in New Orleans from um beginning of March till May. They let me go home early. Um and, uh, yeah, I was just sick, girl. I was sick. So sick. So sick. And the kids couldn't come see you. They came once, and that was that was Easter weekend. And I actually got out of the hospital that weekend that they came. And um, I was still very sick um, and probably looked dead. I look back at a picture that we took on Easter. And I looked awful. My, I was just pale as a ghost, no, no hair, and but a smile was on my face because my kids were there. I was, I was glad to hug them, um, you know, and love on them a couple days. But, um, but that's yeah. I didn't see them again until we got home in May. Well, when did you find out that you were in remission? Um. Let's see. So after the transplant, I had a I had a bone marrow biopsy, I think, at day at day 30 after the transplant. Like right before I left, maybe right after I got right around there and there was no sign of disease. Well, my numbers were showing that it was doing well um and so i've had three bone marrow biopsies since and every one of them have been clear no sign of disease so 
unbelievable. It is it is unbelievable. And um thankful every day. Every day. And it's it's just been a journey. It, well when did you start seeing like after you got home, when did you finally start feeling like you had a new life? Like really a new life. I don't know that I still feel a hundred percent like I have a new life. I mean, you know, I had to retire from teaching, which I didn't want to do. So I lost so much from cancer. You lose so much. People don't understand how cancer truly affects you. And I don't know that I'll ever be the same, Betty. I mean, I think my life will never go back to normal. There's just a new normal. Um, You know, like I told the doctor Monday when I was there, I said, when can I quit? You know, when can I quit worrying? Like, it's always in the back of my mind. Like, if one thing starts feeling bad, I'm like, oh, my gosh, the cancer's back. Or if my joints hurt, I'm like, oh, or if I sweat at night, I'm like, oh my gosh, it's coming. You you just kind of have like paranoia. It's almost like the uh, uh, cancer hangover or cancer depression. Have you? Maybe that's it. Um, you go, do you go to a therapist or anything to talk about this or not? I don't. I haven't. Uh uh-uh. uh. But I have started a little job two days a week, and that has increased my increase my mental state I mean completely it has really helped me I'm back I'm getting out of the bed getting out of my pajamas getting dressed and going and talking to people and people that's my thing that's what I do do you think you'll ever go back to teaching or no no, I'm done I'm done I, I just I'm done with that um as much as it kills my soul I just I had my 28 years and um so you're fully retired and invested. Oh yeah, I'm retired fully fully retired. December will be a year I'll be retired. So, yeah. I am uh I am fully retired and I had my all my years in which was good and um it you know, it worked out. Well, do you think you'll ever write a book or maybe you know, maybe you know, you're a, you were such a great teacher and had so many people that loved you so much and so many people cared and we all kept up with you through social media really I mean that's how I would keep up with you I know and I, I know I went dark for about a month because that's when I was so so sick Lee would keep us informed I mean she was really good about that yeah you had such good friends. I want to ask you one thing, and I don't know if this is true with some, I doubt it's with you because you're amazing, but have you ever found out, did you ever think that the your true, true friends, were they there for you or people that you thought would be there for you, were they not there for you? Oh, no. I No, I, I didn't have that. I know some people have that. Um, I had no I had people uh, no I had so much support it was crazy <laughs> it was crazy. I, like I had never seen so much support I mean some, yeah but, but I know that happens to people as with you 
I mean, <laughs> I don't know why people, but our situation is so different. You know, how is a stroke victim and, and he can't communicate and you can kind of understand yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I think people, you know what I think? I think people are just scared. They don't know what to do. They don't want to, I, I don't know. I, um, they don't know what to say to you. Yeah. They don't, they don't know what to say. I know when you were at the cabana and I asked you point blank, I wanted to talk to you about it. I can't remember who it's one of the kids were there or something, but they looked at me like I had lost my mind, but I wanted to know about your journey. Like personally, it was, it was hard. I mean, it's still hard. I, I, <laughs> told Martha said I have PTSD. <laughs> Every time we drive into <laughs> New Orleans, I'm like, Lord, I don't know if I ever want to go back there for fun. <laughs> Have you got anything planned in the future that you and Mark are going to do and with the kids to just start the new year? Really wonderful. Um, I don't know if you knew this, but my dad was diagnosed with stomach cancer. I did not. Right before I had my double mastectomy with my breast cancer, right before that Christmas. And he had to end up having his entire stomach removed. So our family has been through a lot. Now my dad is doing great. I don't, I don't, I always wonder how you live without a stomach, but you can. Oh, I've known people that had stomach cancer that lived to be 95. Oh yeah. He's doing great. But between me and my dad and, you know, the first Christmas was COVID. We had to do that, you know, Everybody had COVID, so we didn't get together that Christmas. The next Christmas, I had breast cancer. The next Christmas, I had leukemia. This Christmas, we're all going to be here and be so thankful to be together without cancer this year. Um, Lots of family time will be spent, and um, I'm sure we will go celebrate at an Ole Miss bowl game somewhere. (laughs) Me, Mark, and the girls. And... um, (laughs) You know, and just look forward to the future of learning to live with this journey that I've been through and trying to make a new life. Yes. And that's it. And make a new life. That is exactly right. It just, um, you know, and there's so much more to it. It it just, um, what it does to you mentally. And you understand that even with a stroke victim, um, him and you, you both, it's, it's, it's trauma. It's mental trauma. And, um, but you have to find a way to pick yourself up and keep going. Because like I said, it could always be worse. Yeah. It's like, you don't have a choice. It's either you don't. fall or, or make it. You don't, you don't have a choice. I tried and to I- always keep a smile on my face, no matter what. Um, the 30 days in that hospital, I'm glad nobody could be there because I didn't have a smile on my face then, but, um, you know, those were 30 days that my husband was an absolute, oh my gosh, I just, I, I, God was so good to me bringing Mark into my life because I could have never imagined. And my daddy told him, you know, Mark, thank you so much for taking care of my girl. And he said, better for worse, Mr. Rice. Man, that's a blessing, Amy. And we're going to end this session on that blessing. And I wish you and your family the best 
Christmas holidays and the best new year. And I just want, this makes me want to cry. Don't cry. Don't cry. It's, it's all happy now. It's all happy stuff now. So blessed. You are so blessed. I, and I pray for your blessings to continue for the rest of your long, long, prosperous life. Thank you. This, I love you so much, Betty. Well, this is the beginning of a new journey. Yes. Amy. You don't even have a clue where your destiny is going to lead you. You're right. And I know it's going to come with blessings. I do know that. Uh, yeah. Everybody walks a, a walk that makes them in a better place, really. every Everybody's journey has a story. Well, I will let you go. And I thank you so much for sharing this story. And I know that everybody out there that listens is going to be totally in tears. Well, <laughs> I love you so much, Betty. I enjoyed it. We love you. Thank you, Amy. Okay. Bye, doll. Bye-bye. I enjoyed Amy Rice so much. She has the most incredible story and what a journey. Share the episode with people. Everyone needs to know what a strong woman and the strength she has is absolutely amazing. I'm not sure I know anyone that has ever walked that walk. That's a wrap. If you've made it this far, I want to thank you for listening to an episode of Let's Talk. Hit the follow button and share it with a friend. You can contact me at Betty Markham 529 at AOL.com. And that's a wrap.